Well, like Corey just said, we are, we are finishing up a series uh, called 40 Days That Changed the World, looking at what happened in the life of the early church and how the power of the resurrection changed their lives and changed everything. We're in Acts chapter two. So grab a pew Bible in front of you, grab your own Bible, grab a device, it'll be on the screens. We're in Acts 2.42. Um, and so last week, we talked about the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost and how the Pentecost, uh, the, the Holy Spirit filled the church and it was really the birth of the church in the world by the power of the Spirit. And now we get to say, and how do they live? How do they live in response to the filling of the Spirit? And this passage picks that up, Acts 2.42. It says, they, the early church, the early Christians, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So let's pause right there. Well, just like when you hear a remix of a favorite song, you're gonna hear some stuff in this passage that sounds familiar and some stuff that might sound unfamiliar. The familiar, like, yeah, that kind of sounds like church. The unfamiliar, but it doesn't really feel like what I experience on a regular basis. In fact, some of us might read a passage like this and kind of look sideways at it like, uh, that might have been good for them, but that doesn't seem realistic for me today in my own context. And uh, I've heard many people take bits and pieces of this passage and apply it different ways. Like for some, I've heard, you're not a real Christian unless you live in a commune. Or for some, they're like, yeah, yeah, that was, that was how they did it, but that's not really how we have to do it. They're quick to move past it. It makes them uncomfortable. But I wonder, like, is there something in this passage that we should be paying attention to as the church in 2022 in Edina? Is there something we should be paying attention to that the Spirit did in their life that the Spirit wants to do in ours? So as we read this passage, I'm not saying it's a prescriptive formula for every single thing we have to do. However, I do think that there's something that we don't want to miss. There's something about resurrection power that fuels their lives. And what I want you to see is that for them, it meant that the gospel is everything. The gospel is everything. Now, I know that sounds really simplistic. Like the gospel is everything. What does that even mean? But I believe it was true for them that the gospel became everything, that it wasn't just a part of their lives. It wasn't just something that they valued. It was everything to them. Their whole lives had been reordered, had been upended and reordered around the truth of the gospel. And gospel is just a word that means good news. Good news about something that has been done that has now changed the present and the future. Good news about something that's been done for us. And so this passage in Acts 2, 42 through 47, it gives us a picture of people who are experiencing what God wants for them because they're trusting in what God has done for them. 
They're experiencing what God wants for them because they're fully and completely trusting in what God has done for them. What these early Christians found is that they could let go of everything else because the gospel was everything they needed. They could let go of everything else. The gospel was everything they needed. So uh, if you've been around for a while, you know uh, one of the people I quote on a regular basis is Australian pastor Mark Sayers. Uh, and his latest book is called A Non-Anxious Presence. And in the book, he tells the story of a man named Evan Henry Hopkins. Evan Henry Hopkins was a young South African engineer who felt called into ministry, and he followed that calling and moved to London. But it did not go how he expected. In fact, here's what Sayers says about Evan Hopkins' experience. What should have been his greatest joy, living for Jesus, felt like a struggle. An anxious lethargy had overtaken his life. Discipleship was reduced to an ongoing plodding forward, perpetually hoping for a breakthrough, but never getting there. Man, that is a haunting description of someone's faith and probably a little too close to home for a lot of us. But how the story goes is when Hopkins actually gets in the UK, what he says that he finds is that Western society has become so dependent upon new technology that it has caused a pervasive sense of anxiety. Isn't that fascinating? That they have become so dependent upon new technology that everybody was anxious all the time. And so what he found was that even the church, even his faith, had been crippled by this anxiety that everybody seemed to live under. And it's very rhetorical, but I'll ask it anyways. Doesn't that sound familiar? And let's be really clear about something. You saw from the picture, it gave it away, Evan Hopkins lived in the 19th century. Imagine what he'd say about our world today living under a constant sense of anxiety because of the technological advances. The thing was, he wanted to live passionately for Jesus. He wanted a strong faith, and yet he found himself powerless and incompetent and unable to progress in his discipleship. Why? I mean, why was his faith so different than the faith we just read about in Acts chapter 2, where they were passionate and they were committed, they were living every day actively for their faith. What's missing? And why does his experience of faith, and why, frankly, does our experience of church sometimes feel so disconnected and foreign from what we read about in Acts chapter 2? I mean, I read a passage like that, and I wonder, like, what would it look like for that to break out here? to break out at CPC, to break out in our little pocket of Minneapolis, in our little corner of the world, what would it look like for the gospel to have such a powerful movement in our lives and in our life together that people would be in awe of what God has done, that people would be coming to know Jesus every single day added to their number? What would it look like? And so here's what happened in the passage. Pick back up in verse 42. And I think verse 42 is actually the key to this text. So I think if we get what happens in verse 42, we start to realize what actually happened in their life together. Verse 42, there are four things they did, four things. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, 
and to prayer. Four things. Now, any of you who have been like a part of an institution, like a college, a university, a school, some kind of a fraternal organization where there's like a code, there's a way of life, there's something that you organized yourselves around, these organizing principles, here's how we live together, here's how we operate. I even think about in baseball, there's, there's the unspoken, unwritten code. There are certain things that you do not do in baseball. Like everyone knows it, everyone sort of agrees to it, it's Everything is ordered around. If you're going to participate in this institution, here's how we live. So this is what the early Christians organized their life around. And what I want you to see is that these four things, really quickly, these four things are all about letting go of anything but the gospel. So the first thing they did was they learned the ways of Jesus. Right? If the apostles were handing things down to the newest Christians, they were handing down the teachings and the way of life of Jesus. And so right off the bat, they knew they had to be learners. They knew they did not know everything, that they had to put themselves in the position of learning the ways of Jesus. And that in and of itself can be so hard for us. We want to hold on to our abilities, hold on to our education, hold on to our own power and strength, but instead... We are called to come, and if the gospel is going to be everything, we must become learners of the ways of Jesus. The second thing they did was they practiced caring community for each other. So in their day, to to agree to follow Jesus would likely mean alienation from their friends and family. And so they had to become family for each other. And they had to learn that this wasn't a thing they could do on their own to learn to depend on Jesus, to learn to depend on the Spirit. They had to learn to depend on each other, to provide and care for others. They needed the body of Christ. The third thing is that they were nourished by Christ alone. It says they broke bread. And this could be taken one of two ways. Either it meant they were taking the Lord's Supper together on a regular basis or that they were just sharing common meals. And both matter because both say that our nourishment comes from this, from the body of Christ, from what Jesus has done for us, that we are nourished together by the gospel. And the fourth thing is it says they lived prayerful lives. Now, what that doesn't mean is, that doesn't mean that they spent all day, every day in one big prayer meeting. I know that sounds amazing. That is not what it means. So remember, prayer at its core is not primarily about closing our eyes and bowing our heads. Prayer is about submitting to God. It's about saying, God, let your will be done in my life and in our world. And so to be prayerful people, to live prayerful lives, meant that their whole life together was organized around depending upon Christ and seeking his will for them. The gospel was everything that they ordered their life around. And how did they get there? I I was curious, like I was wondering, so Jesus comes back from the dead. He spends 40 days with them. He ascends into heaven. The Holy Spirit comes. And now how do we get to this? Well, here's the answer. A sermon broke out. You think I'm kidding. A sermon broke out. And that's the, what? here, let me show you. Let's go back to Acts. Go back a few verses. Go to Acts 2.32. So, After Pentecost, the Holy Spirit has come, the church has been born, and then Peter preaches this amazing sermon. And hear this line from it. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses to it. 
Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. Stop there. How do they go from Pentecost to living this way where the gospel is everything? Because the Spirit of the living God, of the one who raised Jesus from the dead, has come down and has filled them. And that's all that matters. That's what they're banking their life on. They are spirit-empowered and resurrection-fueled because that is everything to them. They see that nothing else matters. They are radically dependent upon the spirit so they can let go of everything else. They're radically dependent upon God's spirit and nothing else matters. I love uh, author Francis Chan says, the church becomes irrelevant when it becomes purely a human creation. I feel like I just stopped there. I won't though. We are not all we were made to be when everything in our lives and churches can be explained apart from the work and presence of the Spirit of God. I, I want to be able to say, look what's happening at CPC. That could not happen apart from the work and the spirit of God. I want others to go, no human could possibly do this. No human could do this. This has to be the work of God through the power of the spirit in his people in a local context, working together, seeking what only he can do. I want to be a church where we are so filled with the spirit that that's the only explanation for what God is doing. Here's how the rest of the passage describes what the Spirit is doing. Everyone was filled with awe at many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Everyone was filled with awe and wonder, at the mighty wonders and signs. All of the believers were together. They had everything in common. They had a mutual shared life. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Radical generosity broke out. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. Every day their lives were centered. It was the thing that their life came back to. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That's what happens when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of Christ followers who know that the only thing they need is what God has done for them in Jesus Christ. There's a little company, you might have heard of it, out of Seattle um, called Starbucks. And Starbucks, actually, like, Starbucks was famous and kind of made their reputation for being what's known as a third place. So you probably heard this terminology. It's become well used in sort of the business uh, and entrepreneur community. But they... They, they became famous for being a third place. They weren't your home. They weren't your work. They were a third place where you could go and relax and meet people. And you got to know your barista and they made good coffee. And, and it was a place you went on a regular basis. Well, funny enough, over the last few years, Starbucks has decided to pursue convenience and speed. And so what you know now is what? You go to Starbucks and you pull up your app on the way there and you order your, your, your drink and then you show up and it's sitting on the counter and you pick it up and you leave. You don't hang out there as much anymore. You don't talk to the barista. You don't stand in line. Well, here's what they found. Customers are coming less often. 
and the baristas are having a much worse experience of work. Comfort and convenience has led to less commitment and less enjoyment. You think I'm still talking about Starbucks, don't you? I'm talking about the church. Comfort and convenience has led to less commitment and less getting something out of it. I won't use the word satisfaction. Less getting something out of it. Like, here's the thing. For the early church, this wasn't, like, the the body of Christ, this wasn't accidental or incidental. It was necessary. It was the very core of what they needed for their faith, or their faith would have withered. And some of us, our faith is withering because we do not have others in our lives alongside of us that are pushing us towards Jesus. We have people pushing us towards anything but Jesus. In the, in, in the early church, in the first century in Rome, Christians wouldn't have even been a minority. They would have been like a speck on the bottom of the totem pole. No one would have known anything about Christians. They would have been nobody. And the only way that they would have had their beliefs and behavior reinforced was to be part of a close-knit group that allowed for their behavior and beliefs to be reinforced on a regular basis, that who they were in Christ had to be upheld and reinforced in front of their faces and their lives all the time. And what I wonder is if we're having things that are being held up in front of us and our identity is being reinforced by a lot of things other than Christ. What if it's not making us the people that we desire to be. I think what's so convicting about this passage in Acts chapter two is not the things that they did together, but that they were so moved to let go of anything that might hinder their ability to follow Jesus. And yet I think about how often I cling so tightly to things in my life that promise me a good life, but are not drawing me into the love of Christ. So it's easy, I think, to read a passage like this and just go, yeah, sure, we could just have more meals together and share some stuff and it'll be just fine. But that's not the power in the passage. The power in the passage is that the gospel was everything to them, that nothing else mattered and they could let go of anything else. And it doesn't mean that we have to do outrageous, ridiculous things that we would never dream of. It might mean that. But just think of like you read that passage and what? They had meals together. They sold some stuff. They gave, they gave some things away. They helped neighbors and friends that were in need. Right? These are things that all of you do on a somewhat regular basis. These are normal, everyday things in our lives. But they were changed when they were infused with the power of the Holy Spirit. And again, it's not something radical. Out in the great room and in the commons, we have these posters up of people who serve here at CPC. Last week, we did a celebration of them. Uh, It was so much fun, we decided to leave them up in case you weren't here, didn't get to read all of them. But these are people who are giving of their time to help make sure this is a community where people are pointed to Jesus in ways that are small, everyday ways to help us be a place that is oriented around the gospel and what Christ has done for us, right? It's it's not just how it looked for them. What does it look like for us today? What would it look like if we were able 
to hold loosely to everything else because the gospel was central to our identity. What are you holding on to that's keeping you from holding on to the gospel? What are you holding on to that's keeping you from holding on to the gospel? What would it look like for your life to demonstrate that the gospel is everything? To be like these early Christians who risked everything because they knew the gospel was all they needed. They joyfully swapped any other promise of a good life to make sure the gospel was central to their lives no matter what it cost them. I want to close by going back to Mark Sayers and Evan Henry Hopkins. So here's Mark Sayers' observation about Henry, Evan Hopkins' experience in the UK in the late 1800s. Wealth, stability, and comfort had appeared to blunt the mission of the church. Comfortable times create comfortable Christians. Maybe we read a passage like this in Acts 2 and we're like, what is going on there? Because comfortable times create comfortable Christians. And I'm not pointing fingers. I'm a comfortable Christian. I'm not pointing fingers. We're all in this together. But what would it look like if we were able to radically depend on the gospel and nothing else? To let go of everything that's standing in the way of us holding on to the gospel alone and following Jesus where he has us in our places of work, in our schools, in our homes, in our apartments, in our neighborhoods. What would it look like for us to be empowered by the Spirit, to let go of everything, and to believe the gospel is all we need? Amen. Let's pray. Holy God, God, I just can't shake that comfortable times create comfortable Christians. May that not be true of us. Shake us out of any comfort that might hinder us from giving our lives fully to you, that we might know what it's like to be joyful in our worship, to be joyful in our obedience for your spirit to empower us, to do something in us that we could never explain on our own strength, our own creativity, our own smarts, our own power. God, do something in us that only you can do. Fill your church. Fill us. Use us. We are yours. We love you and praise you. In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Amen.